On this episode of the Pittsburgh Beautiful Podcast, I have Wadria Taylor as my guest. She is the founder of Style Week Pittsburgh. You can find Style Week Pittsburgh online at styleweekpittsburgh.wordpress.com. Style Week Pittsburgh was founded in 2013 uh, by Wadria to provide a platform for fashion-focused brands to network, exhibit their talents, and gain recognition. It's emerged as one of the leading fashion events in this town, and it showcases the talent of aspiring and established designers and artists at iconic and unique venues throughout the city. This is directly from Style Week Pittsburgh's website. The real story behind Wadria, as we'll see in the podcast, is that she was born in Jamaica, lived in New York, and decided to come to Pittsburgh to go to school where she graduated from the University of Pittsburgh and also got an MBA from Carlo College, so which is now Carlo University. So another fascinating story of a younger person who has entrepreneurial spirit, who chose Pittsburgh for their secondary education and then made the conscious choice to stay here. So I interviewed Wadria actually down at the waterfront and you'll hear the outside noise. We were sitting outside of the Panera, so there's a little bit of background noise, but overall I think the interview came out really well. Wadria is a talented, engaging and energizing young woman and I think Pittsburgh should be proud to have her as part of the business environment. So without further ado, Wadria Taylor, the Pittsburgh podcast starts now. Okay, well, first of all, Wadria, thank you for being here on the Pittsburgh Beautiful Podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Um, now, your your big thing right now is Pittsburgh Style Week. Correct. Okay, so <laughs> first start off, tell me a little bit about Style Week. Style Week was started in 2013, and it is a multi-day event that connects designers, artists, basically all fashion-focused brands um, in an aspect where they're able to network at these different events. They're able to showcase their work, um, showcase their creativity, and raise their profile locally in terms of um, just raising their visibility amongst the arts and fashion world. So we're gearing up for our sixth year August 16th through the 18th. We have three amazing events happening. And I'm so excited to be able to just share more about it and talk and expand awareness about what we have going on this year. So when I was when I was looking at Style Week Pittsburgh online, uh, and it's is it styleweekpittsburgh.com? Yes. Okay. Uh, what I saw is three days, the 16th, the 17th, and the 18th. So the first day is at the Indigo Hotel. Uh, which is on Second Avenue? Or well, there's is it, uh... there, there are two locations in okay. Pittsburgh, so we're having it at the Indigo Hotel. That's in the Technology um, Drive Center. Okay, that's the one I was talking about. Right. Okay. Um, I don't remember the exact street, but they know it as the Technology Drive right. location. So that's where we'll have the Style Awards, and that's that's an event that we typically have during style week where we give awards out to different businesses, different individuals who um, we have determined and just the community has um, distinguished them as being highly accomplished in their different industries, whether it be fashion, whether it be the arts or whether it be in business. And then the, the 17th is the actual fashion show itself. Correct. Yes. And the fashion show will be at the Union Project. And this year we have seven designers. Um, they're very unique in their own right. Um, we have an emerging 
designer Jensen Noir. She is a recent graduate from Kent State University. Um, she studied in their fashion and design uh, merchandising program. So this will be the first time that she's showcasing a collection, which is very exciting because that's one of our mission with Style Week is really being a launching pad, you know, for emerging artists. And we have Salida Hickman. She is a jewelry designer and artist. We have Probantu Style. They'll be showcasing um, the designer Chris will be showcasing women in menswear. Um, we have Willie G's. He's a women's fashion wear designer. We have Lana Neumeyer. She's a Brazilian designer. Um, Felt Happiness will be um, uh, accessorizing her collection with these really beautiful, very unique hats. And um, we also have Ruby Dawn International, who she'll be producing, typically known for women's wear. This show she'll be showcasing women's and men's wear. So very awesome mix of designers this year that people will get a chance to see and, and hear from. And then the 18th is the, I guess it's the fashion brunch. Yes. Okay. So this is, and this year the theme is the business of fashion. And at this brunch, which we typically end style week with each year, um, the discussion is where we're inviting um, local experts in branding and marketing to share their insights as far as what are the latest. Um, and we were just having a side conversation about this as we were talking about the different innovations in social media. Mm -hmm. So we actually have a marketing and branding expert, um, Kashira Moffitt. She'll be sharing about just different um, best practices and innovations that are happening. Um, that are impacting retailers that are impacting businesses, ways in which they can leverage different tools and approaches to um, grow their business. We also have um, the co-founder of Trust Lingerie. Um, she'll be talking about from that perspective of being a startup, you know, just what are the sharing her their own personal journey as far as how they were able to launch from an idea to um, a very well-known brand, um, sharing uh, best practices as well. Um, so we'll be closing with that event. It'll be at Ascender, which is a co-working space in East Liberty. So we'll also have a chance, um, guests will have a chance to tour the space and hear from um, one of the representatives at Ascender as far as what are the services that are being offered there and just what are ways that as startups, as entrepreneurs, um, Ascender can be potentially a tool or resource for them. And so all of the designers that you just mentioned that are going to be in the show, mm -hmm. are they all based in Pittsburgh or it's somehow affiliated with Pittsburgh? Yes. You mentioned a Brazilian designer. Yes, they're all based here in Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. like myself. Some of them are transplants to Pittsburgh. Um, I'm from originally from Jamaica by ways of New York. Um, Probantu Style, um, that's one of our designers. So the, uh, the, the designer and founder of that brand is from uh, the Congo. Um, Lana Neumeyer is originally from Brazil. Um, living here in Pittsburgh. She also has a company with her husband, Newmeyer Ent Environmental Company. So she's been in Pittsburgh for over 20 years. Um, so similarly, you have persons that are based here, but also have roots elsewhere like myself. Okay. So in, in that in that vein, how did you end up in Pittsburgh? I know you, you went to University of Pittsburgh yes, and yes. also to Carlo, correct? Yes. So I came, that is what brought me to Pittsburgh was education. I came here mm -hmm. in 02 and I went to the University of Pittsburgh where I studied philosophy and politics. Mm -hmm. And then uh, MBA at Carlo. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So in, in going to school for philosophy and politics, and then obviously when you get an MBA, you're a business-oriented person. Why did you decide to stay in Pittsburgh? What kept you here? I saw a lot of potential. Initially, when I came here, it was very... 
um, it was very just different from any place I'd known before. I experienced a lot of culture shock. I just didn't understand what I was experiencing, what I was seeing. It was very culturally, very segregated. Um, in New York, I was just used to a more metropolitan environment. I was used to having a train station. I could just hop on a train and get anywhere. When I saw all these hills, I was like, oh my goodness. And you have to drive everywhere. It was just very different culturally from what I was accustomed to. Um, and what really, when I began to see a different side of Pittsburgh is when through my education at Pitt, I I aligned with some very key people who just showed me and taught me about Pittsburgh's history in different respects. And when I started to learn more about Pittsburgh's history, as far as um, its, um, you know, it, its impact in the arts and the Harlem and the Renaissance, its impact even in, you know, in Black history, the Civil Rights Movement, um, and even just the history and developments that happen here. You know, the steel industry. I learned about like you know, the Hill District and the great Wiley Avenue days, I learned about just the different, the key influential people in arts, in history that had roots also here in Pittsburgh or who somehow their paths crossed with Pittsburgh. When I learned about these things, as I am a very, I'm a, I'm a history, uh, I have a very strong interest just in history and just learning about the context of things. So once I began to, my mind began to expand in terms of just learning about Pittsburgh's origin, I began to see a lot of potential. So I even began to see a lot of potential in the architecture around me. I would see all of these buildings that were like vacant buildings. And I would always think, oh my gosh, like I could see that being something. And like now, years later, I've actually began to see that manifestation. So for me, once I saw the, the learned about its history, it allowed me to see that, wow, if it was such a great place, um, it, it, it's been such a great place historically, then it has a potential to be that great again. And at that point, um, once I had that awareness, I then began to align with more people that would be very inspiring instrumental as far as my own entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial journey. One of those people is Justin Strong. He was the owner of the Shadow Lounge, which is basically like, it's a, it, it was a, a institution in Pittsburgh. It was like the Pittsburgh Cheers. Um, it, it closed down, but it was located in East Liberty. And he's one of the early people that I met when I came to Pittsburgh and just seeing him be a young um, black entrepreneur, I was just not used to seeing that. I was always exposed to that trajectory that I think everybody is where you're taught to go to school, get good grades and get a job. So when I was exposed to people like Justin um, and then I got around people from my country, I got to meet just, I found a lot of Jamaicans here. I had no idea there were other Jamaicans here. So once I got to meet them and to see ways that they were kind of reshaping their identity here in Pittsburgh and how they were able to use their creativity. I had, I met DJs. I met, they were throwing parties, just all of these creative people and they were just doing and producing and having events. And, and that really inspired me to start tapping into my own uh, entrepreneurial um, interest. And at that point is when I began throwing different events at college. And mm -hmm. that's kind of how things have evolved to where I am now. That was going to be my next question. So you, your company is called Style and Steel. Yes. And obviously part of that is a nod to Pittsburgh. Um, what what led you down the path of starting a, a, brandy, a branding marketing company? Is it is it what you were just talking about, um, getting involved in the community that you were in here in Pittsburgh and seeing a need, identifying a need for that? Well, it really just began from a, a just an organic interest in college. Like I remember like one of the very first events that I planned or was involved in in college is because I was a part of a lot of different organizations and things. 
but the Black Action Society has an annual fashion show every year. And I remember like my junior year, I was one of the producers of that show. So it was the first time I had really like been involved with or produced like an event. And I, I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. I was able to be creative in a lot of different ways while I was in college, just out of the need of just being a college student, I would, a girlfriend of mine, she was from Philadelphia. Like we would just get together and just come up with ways to make money. We would make things at one point, these Jersey dresses were very popular. So we would like, there was no store where you could buy them. So her and I bought all these jerseys and like girls would come to us because there were like these different parties that would happen. One of these parties was called the Jersey jump off. And my friend and I were like, look, we're going to make some money. So we bought a bunch of jerseys and then the girls would just come to us and get their Jersey dresses made and we would make money. So I would do things like that, you know, um, throughout college, I would have like these rent parties. I would rent out this Japanese restaurant in Oakland. I think it's still there called Ginza's on Atwood street. It's a restaurant, but at the back of the restaurant, they had like this little small room. So I would rent this room out and I would have these parties there my friend who um he's from dominica um he would make my flyers for me and i would have these parties like a few times throughout the year and this little room was packed out the walls would sweat that's how many people <laughs> you know so things uh, like that is what i that's how i i started to um realize this 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 entrepreneurial spirit you know that was inside of me just doing things like that in college and it just evolved that as I grew as a person, as I graduated from college, um, did some traveling, um, went to graduate school. In the midst of those different avenues in life, I also continued to plan events and things and just evolved through the years where it began as a hobby in college. But over the years, I just continued doing events here throughout the city. I would plan a lot of nightlife events, boutique crawls, fashion shows. And it just grew from being this thing I would just do part time while I was working to two years after I was at I was in a position with the um, with public allies. I was working there full time and still doing my events on the side. I just became so excited, engaged. I would be in work. And even though I would love what I was doing there, I would just be so mentally like engaged and planning what would be the next thing I was doing, what would be the next event that I would plan. So eventually I realized that, I mean, my heart, my passion was, I wanted to just really see my business through and, and see it flourish and grow and do that full time. So I resigned from my job two years in. And ever since then, I've been planning events and doing what I'm doing now. So it's, it's, it's kind of, it's like, it's part of you. Definitely. Yeah. I think for anybody who has a business, yeah, your 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 business or whatever whatever it is that you're you're doing, it's definitely it's a part of you and it's an extension of you. I agree. Um, it's it's one of those things where when you're younger and you touched on it um, earlier in the conversation when you said you're you're taught to go to school, get good grades, graduate, get a job, buy a house. Right. You know, it's kind of that that pathway that. I can't say that's a bad pathway to take. I mean, it's, it's their goals to have. It means that you have to be responsible and somewhat reasonably successful in whatever you do. Um, but I think that um, when, when you're younger, especially, it's so easy to get caught up in anything else that you're passionate about. Well, that's not the right thing to be doing. You know, I'm, I, I can't think about this right now. I've got this test to study for, or I've got this other goal that, society has put out there for me. And, and a lot of us get lost in that. And that's why you, I think right now, especially not only in this country, but not only in Pittsburgh, but also in the country, I think you're starting to see a lot of younger people 
um, kind of buck that trend. Definitely. And there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there. Definitely. Um, like this is a like what they're calling a, a gig economy. And there is a there's a lot of research that, that supports this. But this particular generation, like I am considered to be a millennial, but I like to say that I'm a, I'm a well-balanced millennial because right. I have a hey, I'm not afraid. I like to work. I like to work hard and I'm not afraid of rejection and I don't you know always need like affirmation. And those things are not bad. But with with this generation, it's a great thing. It's a great thing to have options. And with this particular generation, they this generation cares about how they're spending their time so there are a lot of different ways to make money especially today um, and especially in America there's so many different ways to actually make money and this generation doesn't want to do anything to make money they want to do work that has an impact they want to do work that kind of makes them feel good and they want to generally have some flexibility and ownership over how they spend their time um, and they want to also have some kind of connection to what it is that they're doing and society historically and still today in our education system it doesn't encourage that um, and to a degree because of just how the system is set up like you we we need workers we need people to have that employee mindset but we also need creators we need innovators and this generation is just very bold this generation to me just has like they, they have a lot of, they're, they're very brave. You know, they have a lot of courage because um, you have very, very, very young people that are creating, they're, they're, they're making things, they're putting things on Amazon. Like they just, they're trying things, they're taking risks, you know, and there are two sides to it. Like this, we also have, this generation also has like, we're all flawed in different ways. So with that comes, you know, some flaws here. But I think generally this generation is just very entrepreneurial because of the values that align with that, which with, his, you know, our, like my parents' generation, it was about, it was about, yes, survival. It was about foundation. It was about, it, it was about sort of like maintaining the status quo. And this generation to me is just, oh, they're, they're wanting to disrupt the status quo. Yeah, I think that, um, and, and I think we're talking more about, I, I tell people all the time. I mean, which we never never ask a lady her age, so we won't. You've said enough by saying you're. Well, I'm 34. I'm, <laughs> I'm 34. I love. Right, I, right. I'm so 34 did, years you young. Broke, broke with tradition there, but that was you, not me. I just want everybody. Yes, to know that. that's fine. <laughs> um, so I'm 48, and I I tell people all the time. I'm my generation is the in between generation. Mm. So when I was growing up, uh, I played outside in the dirt. You know, I I had a bike. Uh, my favorite thing to do was play baseball, you know, all of that stuff. Um, however, by the time I got into my teen years, I had computer games, the mm. early games, but I had an Atari. A Sega. Yeah, I had a Sega. When I got into college, we were playing video games and I had to have a, a Macintosh in college and all that. So my generation has the benefit of seeing it the old school way. And also watching the the new school, if you will, mm -hmm. and and so for me personally, all of this technology and everything that we're doing is it's absolutely incredible. You know, had I been born say five years earlier, even a small time frame as that, I would probably be closer to the class of people that just don't understand. Mm. You know, like my mother, who is who is God bless her, eighty years old this year, she understands how to use her iPhone, but she doesn't understand how it works. You know, she knows how to call people. And if you push this button, it does this. And I can, and she did learn how to text. Mm -hmm. and so, um, but when it comes to the thought process behind it, you know, it, no comprehension of that. And so we're able to put that stuff together. And where I think millennials really, they, they get the bad rap is when they're, when 
when people talk about them in a way that's like they don't they don't have a hardworking attitude or they don't you know they want everything kind of handed to them because that's what you hear, which I think is completely false. I think what it is is the generation that I'm from basically mm-hmm. and before um, was afraid to take risks, mm-hmm. and that touches on what you talked about the status quo. Okay, you know the, the the generation that I'm from is the generation that was born that the, my parents were the parents of people that experienced the depression and world war two. Mm. So there was that really conservative, like we don't want to take risks. We want to build a solid foundation. We want our children to, to, to have a foundation and get a job. And, you know, we want to keep things moving in this way because mm-hmm. the less risk we take, the less bad that could happen. Right. And I think now we've kind of come full circle and this generation of millennials and, and even younger, they're not afraid to take risks. Mm-hmm. And my father used to say, even though he didn't do it, he used to say all the time, Chris, no risk, no reward. Mm. You know, if you're not going to take any risks, if you're not going to jump out there and put yourself out there, then don't expect to get much back. Right. But that was good enough for him. You know, it was, was it's not good enough for me. Right. And it's, it's not good enough for you. Uh, and I think there's a whole generation of, of younger people now that are saying, you know, if we want to, if we want to, if we want to go so far as to save the planet, if we want to uh, promote a loving and and equal society, and we want everybody to have opportunity, um, that we have to take risks. Definitely. You know, what's it, what's the risk that it could be worse than what it was before? You know, I mean, that's that's the risk. Well. You know, let's 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 move forward. So, um, I think that I think those were some good points. So you, so Style and Steel is your company. You kind of fell into it in school. You developed the passion for it. Um, how did how did Pittsburgh Style Week come out of this? How did you go from, um, you know, school hosting parties, uh, making making jersey dresses, and, mm-hmm. and finding a need? You were filling a need. Find a need, fill a need. That's from a Disney movie. But anyway, um, how did you go from, from that to style week Pittsburgh? When I decided to pursue business as a full-time venture, meaning when I decided to leave my job to have this business as a full-time, so I'm no longer just going to be doing this as a hobby. At that point, I really began to assess, um, just what is it that I'm really observing here as far as a need? Um, when I think about, um, marketing, when I think about Pittsburgh naturally being a very, um, uh, segregated. And I don't mean that when I just like just racially or ethnically, I mean, literally by how geographically Pittsburgh is set up there. Yep. We have all these great bridges. Right. But there seems to be like a reluctance for persons to cross pollinate, meaning you live in this area, you workshop and play in this area. You look at 25 minute drive. Like, oh, my God, I don't even want to go over there. And so what I recognize is that that actually impacts business, because when I came here initially as a college student, I've always as a as a youngster had an interest in fashion. I didn't study fashion. I didn't go to school for it. But I just I enjoy fashion, have always absorbed and lived vicariously through, you know, fashion shows, watching them on television, um, fashion magazines. I would growing up, watch my grandmothers and my mom, just how they carried themselves and how they expressed themselves through fashion. That's where my interest in it came. But when I came to Pittsburgh and I wasn't driving then, I was a typical New Yorker. I literally just started driving a few years ago. So I was that traditional New Yorker. I wasn't really driving anywhere. So I would find myself walking a lot of places. And because of that, I started to just see these different boutiques and places that 
it seemed like nobody else knew about. So it started in Oakland when I remember I, I there was an Avalon store. The first Avalon in Pittsburgh was it's now in Squirrel Hill, but in O2, the Avalon was in Oakland on like I think it was like Atwood Street. That was like one of the first like thrift stores that I that I um, resell boutiques that I that I came across. And I was just like, oh my God. I, I just was going crazy. I saw all of these amazing fashions. I saw I saw the price tags. I was like, wait a minute. Do people know that this store is here? Do they know that all this stuff is here and that it's this cheap? You know, so I just thought I found like the biggest gem. And I would have experiences like that time and time again where I would just come across these boutiques. I was in Shady Side and I remember I came across like one booth, uh, Deanna Mesetics boutique. Um, and I would just talk to like other people, like locals or even like my friends, and they just like, what? Like, what's that? Where? And I'll just be like, how are you from here? You don't know that this is here. And so that's just organically sort of, I just started to come across all of these different fashion oriented brands and that nobody knew about. So when I started my business and it became a full-time venture and I looked at, well, what are some things that I could do? Like, what is a niche that I could somehow develop or cultivate? Um, I realized, well, hey, there's a lot of like boutiques around, there are a lot of designers and like there's, there's definitely a need to somehow promote and showcase them. So one of my first big events that I did like as a, like a full-time, like as an official, you know, companies, I did a citywide boutique crop um, where it involved boutiques in Lawrenceville, Squirrel Hill, um, Shady Side, Oakland South outside. And for one weekend, um, I organized over 17 boutiques where they provided different promotions and discounts. Um, I had like shuttles to take people from different neighborhoods. Like it was a huge thing. But the whole idea behind this event was to increase one to foster cross pollination of people is to encourage persons to integrate and just to go to different neighborhoods, explore what's there and to give um, like shoppers something exciting and fun, a reason to actually, you know, participate. So each uh, one boutique in each neighborhood had a DJ. Like it was just, it was just, and this was like years and years ago that this happened. And so once I did that event, it really um, expanded awareness of my company and it helped me to just slowly start developing, um, um, more of a niche and, a, and more of a following. So that event led to me getting hired by um, the Southside Works. So they're the, the company that like handles the marketing, the leasing. It's called the Sofa Organization. Mm-hmm. So they hired me to plan um, like a fashion show. It was like when Sex and the City um, first came out, the movie. And they had like this huge like ladies night out event. And they had a fashion show. So they hired me to plan that. That was another like key thing because that gave me just some more exposure. And then they hired me again to do it the following year. So I just consistently sort of started doing more and more events in the fashion arena. I then would do um, fashion fundraisers. I did fashion show fundraisers for like Susan G, so, um, Susan G. Coleman organization um, at like venues like, like Oliver Twist. Then that just continued on and on. Then I started doing, I did a fashion nights out event. This was when, there was a Century 3 mall like years ago. Yeah. So I just um, did, I just started doing more and more and more and more events in um, the fashion arena. And in 2013, um, I um, was just planning on doing a series of events and they were designed to really target um, the fashion industry. And I was in Jamaica and just on vacation. And I remember I was in Kingston at a, 
um, at a bar having happy hour. My cousin is a designer in Jamaica and she was like having a meeting there with a, with a blogger. Um, he has a website in Jamaica called um, KingstonStyle.com. So they're talking, I'm overhearing a conversation and I hear that he, this gentleman mentions Style Week Kingston. I've never heard of Style Week before. So I had my iPad. I remember I took it out and I was just Googling. And I was like, oh my God, this looks so cool. And I just was like reading up about it. And I saw that it was a very unique event in that it, it was different from Fashion Week in that it was more about it engaged not only designers, but just a wide gamut of artists and creatives within the fashion and lifestyle world. The events were, I saw some networking events. I saw accessory trunk shows, just really different things. And I was just like, wait a minute, this kind of aligns with what are some of the things I was already planning on doing. So I just had a light bulb moment right then and there. I came back to Pittsburgh like a week or so later and I started planning um, Style Week. And 2013 is when the first one happened. So that, uh, once again, that's uh, that shows the the entrepreneurial spirit. Here's something that you see. Uh, you're you're in Jamaica visiting family, friends. You see something. You say, "I'm going to bring it back to Pittsburgh and try it." Did 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 you think there was a possibility that it would not uh, catch on in Pittsburgh? What what was your biggest fear? You know, because and the reason that I asked this question is that when you think of when you think of fashion, mm-hmm. generally in the world, you think of a few places, you know, you think of London, you think of New York, you think of Paris, you know, um, Pittsburgh doesn't always come to mind yet for some reason lately, especially in the last couple of years, it seems to me anyway, and, and I'm a guy, so me and fashion aren't necessarily always hand in hand. Um, although once in a while you can get me dressed up, but, um, it, it, what was your biggest fear in, in bringing something like that here? Hmm. Honestly, like I wasn't thinking even I wasn't fearful of bringing it no here. No fear then. No, it was fear about like so there was like discomfort because of the time frame. So when I was in Jamaica, it was like April. It was April 2013 that I was there and Style Week happened. It was August. So it was April, May, June, July. So it was like about like maybe four months or less that this turnaround <laughs> had to happen. So I just I just remembered like honestly being in just full go mode, like there wasn't even much thinking, like to yeah. be honest with you, like I had the literally was a whole moment. It was like, oh my God, like this is what I'm going to do. So you and then did- I came back to Pittsburgh and from the moment of coming to Pittsburgh, I just started planning. Like yeah. I was just in go mode. So you decided right away, like I'm going to do this now. Yeah. You like it was say, a like, <laughs> I'm going to take some time and plan it. No. So you're not a very patient person. No, definitely. <laughs> n- um, definitely not. The planning happened in terms of I already had some the events in mind, right? I already mm-hmm. knew that I was going to do a series of events and literally looking at the lineup of events. And if you saw like, cause I, I write, I have a, I, I believe very much in the power of word and I write. So I still use a planner. Um, I love technology, but I still write my ideas down. I still have a physical planner that I write my dates down. So literally I had my idea book of all these events that are already lined up. When I saw the Style Week, um, when I saw the Style Week Kingston, I said, ding, ding, I could take the events that I was already planning on doing and just merge them. So I already had an idea as to what the events were going to look like, the skeleton, so to speak. It was just more about filling in the meat. Style Week Pittsburgh takes place from August 16th through August 18th. Go to styleweekpittsburgh.wordpress.com to find out more 
and for a schedule. We'll be back to finish up the interview with Wadria after a short break. Okay. Okay, so you mentioned, did you graduate college in 2002? Six, 2006. Oh, 2006. Yeah, I started, started in, in 2002. Yeah. Okay, so being being a, a woman entrepreneur in Pittsburgh, which I think, um, and we were talking before we started this interview um, about how uh, Pittsburgh is really kind of starting to open itself up uh, to the idea of not only entrepreneurial uh, types of businesses, but also having women entrepreneurs be, I think, a leading force in that now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. So if you were, if you were to give Wadria of 2002-2003 advice, now that this is Wadria of 2019, what are some of the things, what, what's some of the advice you would give to her or any young woman starting out who wants, who has that entrepreneurial spirit? Really and plainly, the only advice I would give myself and to anyone is to enjoy the journey because very much, at least speaking for myself, I'm a very outcomes-based person and I'm a very like goal-driven person. Like I set a goal and it's like everything is aligning to that goal. And that's great. It's great to have a sense of focus and it's great to be goal driven. However, in my own personal experience, so many things have happened like over the last like six years, for example, um, a lot of exciting things have happened just with like with style, like all the p- myriads of people that have come together from just all over the support, the volunteers. I mean, there's so many people in hands and just a process that's involved with planning it each year. And for me, there are times that I've been so entrenched in the achieving the goal that I have not been present while these great things were happening. Therefore, like it's sometimes I have to sit and try to remember it's when I'm doing things like this, where I'm being asked questions or where I'm really having to reflect and think back where I'm thinking like, wow, we did that. All those things, you know, happen. So I encourage um, others to really be present with the process, be present with each endeavor, be present with every thing, activity, experience, because the experience is really the sweet stuff. The experience is really, you know, where the satisfaction, the fulfillment and the joy and the learnings, even the challenges, it's all about really the experience and things unfolding, you know, as, as you go. So for me, the biggest thing I would tell myself, even today, I still remind myself is to enjoy the journey. And with that is trusting the process. You, you have to trust that all of your efforts, that everything that you're doing as an entrepreneur, as a person, that it will work itself out. You do the best that you can, but there is, I believe very much that there is um, the work that you have to do, but then there's a level of trust and submission that you have to allow for things to really unfold and take its course. And I think a big part of that is just having faith that everything is going to, you know, work out as it should. I think that's good advice. Um, it's, it's, you can sum all that up, I think, by saying never give up. Mm. You know, I, I think that all too, all too often people are almost afraid of success because they don't know really how to define it. So, you know, we're, we're inundated all the time with, you know, this is especially through social media now, this is mm. what successful is. Mm. And you look at that and the first thing you think is, I'll, I'll never get there. You know, how am I going to get there? And if you're passionate about something and you love something and you have heart invested in that, 
then and and you don't give up and don't listen to the naysayers i think you know you will be able to find success for yourself mm. and that's to me anyway that's very important very much you know um i know people that that are very successful people uh, at least in my eyes mm-hmm. and in lots of other people's eyes as well ask them if they feel successful they'll tell you no and that's so that's so puzzling to me mm. because if you're going to measure success um which this is pretty much not the right way to do it, but it, it happens happens to be an offset of success. A lot of success comes with a lot of material things or mm-hmm. expensive material things. So if you're going to measure it that way and you look at it that way, well, you drive a Mercedes and you have a, a beautiful home and, you know, aren't you successful? Mm. And if they can't tell you that they're successful having all of these nice things, then to me, they're not truly successful because... You know, I, I say this to my wife all the time, and when she listens to this, she'll, she's just going to roll her eyes. You know, I, I I would live in a tent if I could just be with her. If, if that's all, if if that's oh, all wow. that life was going to give me, as long as I could have her in it, we could live in a tent. Now she would never live in a tent. <laughs> if I decided that's what was going to happen, I wouldn't have her. But <laughs> that being said, I think you understand the metaphor, right? Yeah. I mean, success is really what it, it's about happiness. And when, when you're happy, you exude happiness, you exude success. And hey, look, then if you want to measure it by having, you know, the nice car or, or the nice clothing or the vacation home, well, you know, more power to you. But I think so many people are afraid that if they don't achieve that, they haven't achieved success and they end up becoming more mired in more of that depression that we all see people in all the time. So I think that's great advice, you know, stay passionate, don't give up. Um, I think that, that, uh, this is a special time in Pittsburgh, especially. And, um, I think it's wonderful that people like you have chosen to live here. Yeah. And I think it's awesome that you're sharing and exposing and telling these stories Thank and you. that you're doing, cause you're a perfect example you're living what we're talking about as far as you finding and having a passion, a vision, a calling to do something and doing it and not needing permission, not waiting or expecting someone to ask you to do it, just, just doing it. And I I really believe that that, that is true impact is just really just doing what you're called to do without having to be called, you know, to do it. Like, as you were talking about success, I it makes me think about like self-determination and I think it's important to, you know, it's not all the places in the world that we have this privilege. Like I really think it's a privilege, even like entrepreneurship and having the choice or being able to choose this path, I think is a privilege um, also, but I think it's also a privilege to be, we live in a world we are in a place where like we really could for the most part self-determine what we want to be and who we want to be. And I think just being humans on this planet, I'll take that back as being humans, we do have a level of self-determination. And I think as success, we see, as you were just talking about materially, traditionally, I think that's what we see success as, is having like material, having just being rich financially or having material possessions. But we see, even with the last year, we saw like all of those, like um, uh, uh, Anthony Bourdain, you know, who committed suicide or, um, you know, Kate Spade, who also took her life. And these are people that are very prominent. These are people that in our or others' eyes, you would say, oh my gosh, they just, ha- they're so successful. They have these amazing, um, you know, they're prominent. They have notoriety. They have riches. So what I've learned to like echo what you're saying is to 
determine for myself what's successful. And I think for any entrepreneur and just individual, it's important to determine what that is for you because it's not always financial. For some it is, and that's a part of it, but the fulfillment part of it, I think, is much deeper than that, you know? Yeah, I, I it, absolutely. There, there's so many people that are unhappy and it's so easy to see that. And, you know, you get in a room with somebody that's unhappy and you can just you can feel it. And mm. it, it's not, it's not like I'm, I'm SpongeBob and I'm happy all the time. And that's, that's a SpongeBob reference is cause my, I've watched way too much SpongeBob for a guy my age, but I have a lot of kids. So, um, but you know, you, you, you can't be happy all the time, right. like, like just outwardly exuding this happiness. It's just, it's just part of life that you're going to have a bad day. You're going to have a bad moment. You're going to have maybe a bad month, you know, some bad things are just going to happen, but it's that external control of the rest, rest of the world trying to tell you what you should be happy about, what you shouldn't be happy about, that I think really, as a younger person, it, it tends to confuse you. In those college years you were talking about, I think that's really what, what forms a lot of the next 20 years for people. And then you get to be my age, and, and at my age, you, start to, you, you really do start thinking, oh my God, time's running out. <laughs> you know. And, and, but then you find yourself telling yourself, well, I... I still have 20 good years left, you know, where I can be productive and do things like this before they have to wheel me into a home oh my somewhere. God. Drooling. I don't you know. You have more than, I hope you're, <laughs> I would put like, uh, say 60 years. Oh my okay. God. You said 20. Well, so 108. Oh well, you know, with medical science, the way I it is can't. now, maybe I would not. not listen to medical science. <laughs> well, listen, Wadria, it has been an absolute pleasure. I, I appreciate your time. Um, I applaud what you're doing here. As I said earlier, I, I think it's wonderful that, that people are, deciding to stick around Pittsburgh. Um, we got a little off topic there for a little while, but, but that was fun. And, um, um, I wish you success in everything you do and I'd love to have you back. Uh, and, um, good luck style week coming up. Thank you, Chris. You are a blessing and a light. This was an awesome experience and you're keeping Pittsburgh beautiful. There you go. Pun intended. (laughs) Thank you. Pittsburgh struggled for so long to keep its younger generation here and also to attract the younger generation. And now, as you can see from this interview, there is a generation of Pittsburghers and also a generation of young people from around the world that have decided that Pittsburgh is the place to be. So I want to thank Wadria Taylor for her time in this interview. It was an absolute pleasure speaking with her. Make sure you check out Style Week Pittsburgh. You can find them again at styleweekpittsburgh.wordpress.com or you can hit them up on their Facebook page, Style Week Pittsburgh. You can go there and get a schedule, look at the events. It's August 16th through 18th. Again, thanks for listening to the Pittsburgh Beautiful Podcast. Stay real. The Pittsburgh Beautiful Podcast is produced by me, Chris Klein, the founder of Pittsburgh Beautiful. The opinions of our guests are not necessarily the opinions of Pittsburgh Beautiful and are their own opinions. All of our guests have been invited to be on the podcast and are not paid for their appearance. Thanks for listening to the Pittsburgh Beautiful podcast. Stay real.